Psalm 101, the Psalm of David. Hear now the word of the living God. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whosoever privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Will I will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers. From the city of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord our God, we do give thee thanks for your word this evening. Thank you that you have given us instruction for the edification and the building up of our souls. We ask, O Lord, that as we come to meditate upon thy word, that our meditations would be sweet, that we would benefit from these things upon which we meditate. May the words of my mouth be clear, and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Give me just one moment here. As we consider this evening Psalm 101, there's an account told of Sir George Villers, V-I-L-L-I-E-R-S, who lived in the late 1500s. He was the first duke of Buckingham. He became the Prime Minister of England under King James I. Lord Francis Bacon, who was one of the advisors under King James, advised Sir George Villers about the people he should choose as his courtiers or those who would serve within his courts. And he said this, Choose honest and faithful servants, as well as comely or attractive outsiders who can bow the knee and kiss the hand. David in Psalm 101, verses 6 through 7, propounded a rule to himself for his courtiers. A wise and good king should follow this example, and if he find any to be faulty, Let him take on this resolution of David. 
There shall be no deceitful person found in my house. Ernest the Pious, who lived in the 1600s, who was the Duke of Saxe, sent a copy of this very psalm to an unfaithful servant in his court, rebuking him for not having piety and holiness in the discharge of his duty. Here we have an example of a man who took the word of God and said that those who serve and rule within his courts would certainly not be deceitful or untrustworthy. I wonder how often in our day we would find great blessing of God upon our nation if those who serve would use Psalm 101 as a great way of calling their servants to serve wisely. Martin Luther called this particular psalm David's mirror of a monarch, the true monarch under whom he desired to serve. As you note there in this particular psalm, it is a psalm of David. This and Psalm 103 are the only psalms within this fourth section of the Psalter that describe it as a psalm of David. And generally when it says psalm of David, as we have seen before, it speaks of David as its author. And so as we come to this particular psalm, it's not a psalm that uh, calls the people to worship. It's not a psalm that calls people to confession. It's not a psalm that that calls for an acknowledgement of the benefits of God's blessing. It is a psalm called to hunger, desire holy, and godly passions. Here David speaks in the first person singular with a desire and aspiration to live according to the law of God within his house. William Plumer, who was an 18th century Presbyterian pastor, says this psalm has a tone of authority, indicating it was written when David was invested with royal power and function. Some have referred to this psalm as the householder's psalm. Kings and fathers, those who are in authority, have good principle from Psalm 101 for ruling in their domain or sphere of influence. As I mentioned this morning, one place that we have authority and rule is over our own conscience. And so here is the householder's psalm. Here's the psalm that calls us to integrity before the Lord. David determines David has that strong resolution that he will certainly fulfill the duties of his house wisely. So as we consider this psalm this evening, we trust we'll find this a benefit as we meditate upon it. David lays out here the duties of his charge as king. We see in verses 1 through 4, that he lays out the duties of his charge in his private life. 
And then in verses 5 through 8, David lays out the duties of his public life. If one desires to have integrity in his public life, he must begin with integrity in his private life. And so as we look to this psalm this evening, we find their description of David's administration of his charge in his private life. He begins by saying, I, speaking in that first person singular, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Now as David speaks those words there, um, that word I will sing or that phrase I will sing is an indication that he presents himself before the very God to whom he gives praise as the one whom he resolves to show integrity and honor in his life. And so as David begins, those words mercy and judgment can be used in, in two different fashions. We can speak of the mercies of the Lord. We can speak of the salvation of the Lord and the mercy that he has for sinners. We can speak of the judgment of God, particularly vengeance upon the wicked. But judgment is also used in the right administration of the law of God. And so here we see that David sings of mercy and judgment, that as a king, he will exercise mercy within the jurisdiction of his rule. And second of all, he will use judgment in the administration of that office. And so here David begins by showing that he will have mercy and tender compassion toward those who are within his house. And notice there in the passage that he speaks of living within his house or walking within his house or showing this attitude of integrity within his house. And so within that jurisdiction, he exercises mercy. He exercises kindness. He resolves to seek mercy for those within his house. But he also desires to seek righteousness and to seek judgment. When we think of the judgment that David had, he, he had the word of God, he had the law of God. And we'll see as we come to the application of the law of God in Psalm 119, that that law is what is used within the house of God to govern the people. Now, we live in a day, and sadly, even within the church, where people take a very low view of the law of God. They will say, well, we don't have to live so much by the commandments because those were for the Old Testament age. We're under the royal law of love. And yet, as we see the, the New Testament, we see the application of the law in the lives of the people. Why would Peter call us? to live holy lives? Why would Peter call us to be without hypocrisy, to be sincere in our walk before the Lord if God did not use his law as the standard for ruling within his house? And so we use that standard of judgment within the courts of the Lord. 
the, the elders of the church use the law of God as a means of judgment against those who sin, against those who have been not walking according to God's will, and so we use the law as a means of judgment. And so as David sings of mercy, as he sings of tender compassion toward those within his house, as he seeks, speaks of judgment within the courts of the Lord, the judgment is what he rules by. It is what rulers and potentates and kings and governors are to use within the courts that they have jurisdiction over. Sadly, even Reformed people today do not believe that the civil magistrate has the right and duty to use the law of God to govern. But then why do we have laws against murder? Why do we have laws against rape? Why do we have laws against theft? Aren't they based upon the Ten Commandments? And so any civil magistrate must rule with mercy, but he must also rule in judgment according to God's will. And so governors and those who exercise their rule are to do so with equity and honor before the Lord. And so David writes here in this introduction to resolve to seek righteousness, to seek holiness in his private life. Sadly, we hear today, even within circles of government, of this lack of integrity. We see it in both political parties where uh, one is brought down or perhaps he's indicted for some crime or misdemeanor. Perhaps he's done something that um, reflects on his private, personal integrity. And yet it does affect the law. We heard a number of years ago in previous election that private personal integrity doesn't have any bearing on holding office. And I had that discussion with one. Well, if that's the case, then we can just let anyone rule if there's no rule of law. And yet our private integrity, our private lives, is what is the rule within the sphere. And so David seeks righteousness in his private life. He resolves to order his house rightly in this way. David had rule and jurisdiction over Israel. He was their king. And so within every domain, in every aspect of that kingship, he was to rule. But isn't it ironic when you think about the private life of David and he begins by impacting for us in verse 2 how he will behave. He says, I, again he's using that first person singular, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? He, will, he literally says, I will closely attend to a way of innocence. I will guard my heart in integrity. The psalmist says, who may approach the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so when he prays, 
O Lord, when wilt thou come unto me? Because the Lord will not draw near to one who does not behave and walk in a perfect way. And here's the irony of this. David speaking as one who wants to rule his life wisely in a perfect way, did not rule his life wisely and in a perfect way. And we saw the, we see there in Psalm 51 in his prayer of confession, his prayer of repentance, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That was most likely later in David's life. But the question is, can David behave wisely in a perfect way? David is resolving. David is confessing, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. The question is, how can anyone walk perfectly before God? How can anyone have a perfect heart? And yet we find from this passage that David speaks of that royal king of whom he is a picture of that will come and who will walk in a perfect and wise way. But oftentimes we will use the excuse, well, no one can walk perfectly. No one can walk and behave wisely in this crooked and evil age. And yet David's resolve is to behave wisely in a perfect way. We live in a culture where we find people walking in all kinds of ways, but there's not wisdom in how they walk. There's not wisdom in, in the way we approach things. There's not wisdom in how we converse in, in our private life. There's not wisdom in how we conduct our affairs. And so David says, I will wisely walk in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. And he says there in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Here's a wonderful resolution for all of us to consider. And that is that we will not set before our eyes any wicked thing. How many other things do we have in our lives that can bring before our eyes wicked things? You can turn on the TV, you can pick up a magazine or a book in a coffee shop, you can go anywhere and see wicked and wise things before thee. And yet, David says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And it's as if David has control over what he sets before his eyes. That old children's little ditty years ago, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And here David says, be careful what you look upon. We have all around us, even within cities like Sheboygan, so many things that are wicked, that are placed before our eyes. David says, I will set nothing before my eyes. Is that the resolve of your heart? That you will set nothing before your eyes? That is wicked. Notice what David says. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. That word hate there is that other worthless um, 
abhorrence for anything that does not follow the way of God's commands. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, do I hate sin that much? Do I hate sin enough that I will not let it turn me aside from the way in which I should walk? David had to hate the work of those that turn aside because he did not want it to cleave to him. And of course, all of us as sinful creatures know that it is often difficult to control our minds and our hearts as we, we see things around us. But as the psalmist says, I have made what? A covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a woman. And here, David, speaking as one who did fall hard before the Lord, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect in his ways, who is perfect in his walk, and calls those within his house to walk in the same manner. He speaks in verse 4 of that froward, or twisted, or false, or perverted heart. A perverted or twisted heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. As you think of that prime minister under King James I, who was told to choose honest and faithful servants, guess what? He did not take, he did not heed that advice. In fact, he went opposite. And he cho chose men who were not honest and faithful. And later, he gave himself over to the antics of Charles I and turned away from that which he was called to do. And so that twisted heart, that false heart, that perverted heart, can turn us away. And David says, I will not know a wicked person. I will not allow a wicked person to rule within my house. And so he is saying, I will not know this person in the sense of engaging with them in sin. You know, in the English language, we have levels of knowledge and understanding with people. You don't have that uh, necessarily in Hebrew. But that idea of having known a wicked person entails that he wanted nothing to do. He didn't want any fellowship with those who walk in darkness. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? That we are not to have any fellowship with workers of iniquity? or workers of darkness. And yet, here David desires to walk before the Lord in a sense of integrity and honor before the Lord. But secondly, we see David ordering his public life as well. David wanted his private house, those within his house, ordered well, his own private world, ordered well. Now we see that he wants to order his public life as well. Whosoever 
privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. How often even within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we allow slander. We allow those things to be spoken about one another, whether we think they're right or not. And it destroys the peace and the purity of the church. And yet David says, those who slander his neighbor within the courts of my jurisdiction will be cut off. That language there, cut off, indicates that he will literally be put out. He will literally um, be dealt with and punished according to the law. So David believed that as a ruler of Israel, he had the responsibility to cut off or to punish those under his authority that do not walk the way that is pleasing, a walk that isn't full of, with integrity. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. And these are, these are difficult things for us to meditate upon. And I think the, the point of the passage is to think about how oftentimes do I let slander within my own private world? How often do I allow my own heart to become puffed up with pride? David says, I will not allow a proud, arrogant person to rule within the courts of my jurisdiction. Mine eyes shall be, what? Upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me, that he may walk in a perfect way. He shall serve me. And here as David speaks in verse 6, of his eyes being upon the faithful, David has in mind that mercy that he speaks of in verse 1, as having care, having rule, having jurisdiction over those faithful men and women of integrity who dwell within the land. He that walketh in a right, perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. We oftentimes think of all the examples, and we see so many uh, examples of this even now, of the deceit that we see within the, the uh, houses of, of our, our nation, within our government. We see men of, of uh, low integrity, men of, of deceit and dishonor. David says they will not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. And yet we have lies not coming from the highest office. We have lies coming from the lowest offices within our land. And yet David's resolve was in his private life as well as in his public life. He would not allow workers of falsehood in his midst. So I said this has been called the Householder's Psalm, where its resolutions are to live with integrity in the house where we exercise authority. And so this psalm has application to every head of household. Whether you be the head of your own household as a single person, or whether you be the head of 
a household as a father, the duty that those households have is to keep the lives of those within that home in high integrity and honor before the Lord. We heard this morning from First Peter what a great testimony a life of integrity is before the, the world. And if your family is ordered with that highest integrity, if your children walk in obedience, if your children show kindness, if your children don't show rudeness, but show kindness, then this is an indication that you are ruling your house well. We live in a day in which we see the unruliness within our own society of children who have gone away, who've turned to their own way. And yet David says, there must be integrity within my house. And so how does this psalm apply even more directly in our private lives and in our public lives? It certainly is directly related, as I have said, to the resolution of David to live a righteous and holy life and to govern a righteous kingdom. But it is perfectly fulfilled in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those within the house of the Lord are to rule righteously with integrity. David, as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the king sought rightly to govern his house in integrity and honor. And as a type of Christ, he ruled well. But Jesus, who is the Son over the house, is to rule even with greater integrity. For he who had no guile in his mouth, he who was perfect, he who was impeccable in his integrity, is the one who has sought to walk perfectly. No one can ever accuse the Lord Jesus Christ of not measuring up to the resolution to live a holy life because Jesus is the pattern for how we are to live. And so the call for us is to govern ourselves, to govern our families, to govern those jurisdictions within our stewardship by living in holiness and integrity. Fathers, how do you govern? There's no model of household management. There's no model of leadership that will succeed without those virtues grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. So many manuals, so many manuals perhaps some have used even within this church, to govern and rule their families all fall short. Because if you try within your own strength to govern according to some expert's um, wisdom or to govern according to a popular person or whoever that may be, if you use those models without Christ, it will never succeed. We can use every amount of strength and power that we have to govern ourselves with morality and integrity, and it will always fail. 
Because we're not called to be moral people. We're called to be people who are governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when our houses are governed by Christ, then we will see something far better than what any household management book can tell you. For we will see children who love their parents who walk in obedience will see parents who love one another. And so that call is to fathers, but that call is also to husbands to govern well. Now, for those of us who are first-generation Christians, we did not have that biblical model. But that is no excuse. We may be the guy who's come late but we can still learn how to govern because we have the pattern of Scripture of how we are to conduct ourselves before the Lord. Too often we can be like the shrewd and unwise serp, um, servant who can use all kinds of excuses. But at the end of the day, the question is, how do we govern? Do we govern with mercy and judgment? Or do we govern with an iron fist? Lord Jesus Christ did not govern in that way. He showed mercy and compassion. And so we as fathers and husbands are called to govern our homes because our homes are grounded in Christ when Christ is the one who is the unseen guest, is present within our homes, then all things will run well. No household, let me say this again, no household will run smoothly. Ask my wife. No household will be free from those things where fallen creatures, where people who are created in the image of the first Adam, and yet, if we're in Christ, we're created in the image of that second Adam. And so we're called as children of light to rule well. Magistrates are to rule. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and 1 Peter chapter 2 remind us that we are to give our obedience to those in authority over us and that we are to pray for rulers and kings and magistrates. Martin Luther said this, It is with God alone that a kingdom and a commonwealth can be rightly governed. For where God is not, there are all things scattered and brought into confusion. This day and age, even among Reformed people who give their allegiance to the Westminster Confession of Faith, we recognize that civil magistrates cannot rule a kingdom or commonwealth well if they do not rule in the power, the strength of God. They are called to govern according to the law of God. How else will they govern? According to political party whims or according to what works well? I think Martin Luther said it well. It is with God alone that a kingdom and a commonwealth must be rightly governed. And when we think about the, the magistrates in our day and the duty that they have, we have a duty to pray for them. 
We have a duty to pray that they will rule rightly and wisely according to the will of God. Because when magistrates do not rule well, what does that do for the nation? Brings the nation into great confusion and scatters them. So there's a wonderful reminder to us to to conduct ourselves in whatever sphere we have to rule well. We see this psalm fulfilled in perfect in the perfect purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. For his kingdom and coming judgment indeed is a sure thing for his people. How can Christ's absolute resolve be the righteous king of his people, giving believers hope and comfort? Friends, the only hope and comfort we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful Example for us, but it is a wonderful reminder to us of our resolution, of our resolve to walk in integrity. But it's also a warning. It's also a stern warning to those who continue to walk in rebellion and unrepentant sin. One who walks in unrepentant sin before the Lord will indeed be cut off and will fall under the hands of of a living God. Peter Martyr Vermigli lived in 1499 to 1562, was an unknown reformer. Before the Reformation, he was an Italian reformer. And Peter Martyr took every psalm of the Psalter, all 150 of them, and composed from each psalm a prayer that was used in corporate worship and was to be a guide for prayer, the life of the church. And Peter Martyr Vermigli took Psalm 101 and composed a prayer that I think is well for us to pray. Of course, we, we want to pray particularly those things for ourselves and for that jurisdiction over which we have rule. But Peter Vermigli says this, Thou requirest this especially in such men's living as those who profess the beautiful name of Christ and the Holy Gospel. O most God and merciful God, that they should lead their life exceedingly justly with great uprightness and to perform the deeds of charity toward their neighbors, which things seen the Holy Scriptures do everywhere call us to. We unfeignedly confess that we have in no wise performed it. And in this behalf, we acknowledge before thy divine majesty our grievous wickedness and most wrongful dealings and the cold zeal we have toward thy holy church and toward thy blessed people. Praying thee that thou would pardon and remit whatsoever we have traitorously and rashly committed against thy sacred commandments. 
And we ask that by the power of thy spirit, you may begin in us to perform that innocent and blameless life. He says this in his prayer, and I think this is so important to perhaps utilize in our own prayers, whether it be family or private or even within the church. Let all wicked devices be excluded far from our hearts and cause us to detest such matters as are repugnant to justice and equity so that we may neither think nor yet do anything which may be disagreeable to thy holy pleasure and blessed law. Then he concludes, Humbly we beseech thee not to forsake thy holy church in this troublesome time. For thou seest the cruel, malicious, and ungodly antichrist who have invaded her, being so puffed up with pride and inflamed with fury, scorning as well divine laws as human with like stateness, doing nothing with courtesy and faithfulness, but practice to bring all things to naught. Wherefore, our earnest request is, O good and gracious God, that Thou would make Thy people trust in Thy mercy and destroy with great force and mighty power those who are wicked, who be no less adversaries to the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. It's a beautiful prayer. We live in a day when those kinds of prayers are no longer composed. But as I read through that and I thought, my, how well I could benefit from using that in my own private life, my own private world. So I think about those, those things that can become certainly grievous, wicked things that can come before my eyes, wicked devices that need to be excluded. But I think there's a reminder to us as we, we think on this psalm. It is a psalm to be meditated upon and to, to call ourselves to reflection, to think, how much do I live up to that integrity? But to remember that within the courts of the Lord's house, that is the kind of life that we are to live. And yet we conclude with verse 8. For David says, I will early destroy the wicked of the land. Here it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ who will come in judgment and who will cut off the wicked out of the land. And so let us resolve as people of God under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would order our private lives well, that we would order our family lives well, that we would order our churches according to God's way, and thus nations would order themselves according to that right and holy way. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, we do come before Thy presence, giving Thee thanks for Thy mercies, thanking You particularly for the mercies of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who walked in perfect integrity, he who was both actively and passively obedient in every thought, every intent of the heart. We confess that we have often sinned even against this commandment by not walking in righteousness and holiness before Thee. O Lord, we plead with Thee that You would have mercy upon us, that You would remove from our minds those secret sins, those wicked devices from our hearts, those things that are not pleasing to Thee. May we as brothers and sisters in Christ learn to say yes or no and not to have a double meaning in our conversations. May we learn to walk in integrity and honor before Thee so that we may offer that wonderful witness before the world that we are not haughty and arrogant people, that we are holy, sincere people who walk perfectly because we belong to Christ. So, Lord, bless this word to the benefit of our souls. We ask for the sake of Christ, our King. Amen.